Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I feel like I've really been on a roll with terrific guests for the podcast recently. When I asked George Armistad, who was a guest in episode 144, how he decided to choose his birding guides for his new company, Hillstar Birding, the first person he mentioned was Holly Merker. When I looked to see who just who is this birder George thinks so highly of, I really knew she was someone I wanted to talk with. Many of you will identify as loving birding and know that somehow birding brings some sort of special benefits to you as a person. Whether you're a casual birder who just loves watching birds whenever you get the chance, or a daily passionate birder who never has birding far from the front of your mind, there's just something special about birding that makes us feel better. Well, my guest on this episode, Holly Merker, really helped me galvanize my thoughts around what is it about birding that's so therapeutic? Holly is an exceptionally skilled birder. She's been a professional bird guide for over two decades. She's been a key leader at youth birding camps like the Hog Island Camp, Audubon Camp in Maine, and the ABA's Camp Delaware. She's been the chairperson of the Pennsylvania Bird Records Committee and was recently awarded the 2022 Conservation and Education Award by the ABA. So she's not a lightweight when it comes to birding experience and recognition. But her recent focus has been on helping people use birding as a part of their wellness program. As a family physician, I believe that our thoughts, our behaviors, and our overall sense of well-being are complicated, interrelated, and that it's important for each one of us to take good care of our physical and mental health in a lot of different ways. I've known that for me, somehow, birding just makes me feel better and is good for my soul. Rather than have me tell you about this topic, let's get right to hearing from one of, if not the leading advocate and authority on the subject. I'm excited to have Holly Merker as my guest on this episode of the Bird Banter Podcast. Holly, thanks for doing this with me today. I'm really excited to talk with you and learn about ornotherapy. Hi, Ed. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show today. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, it should be good. Before we get into ornotherapy, which will be the kind of the focus of our talk, and it's pretty darn interesting. I got your book the other day, and I've gotten a chance to look through it, so I can't wait to talk about that. But I want to learn about you. Tell me about Holly Merker. How did you get into birding? You know, Tell me your birding story and, and kind of how you came to this kind of corollary to birding. Yeah, well, I have been a lifelong lover of birds ever since I can remember um, being a child and and just connecting to birds and, and reading a Rangerick magazine and uh, reading any books I could get my hand on birds. But I never knew there was something called birding out there until I was much older. Um, so, you know, I kind of had this fascination and curiosity about the natural world in general, and birds fell into that and played a powerful role um, in, in, in my upbringing, really, and my focus. And when I was a young adult, I realized, aha, there's something called birding out there. You mean people do this? They go out and they like start looking for birds? And I discovered this because I heard a... Um, a black throated green singing one day. And I was like, that cannot really be a bird. <laughs> you know, they have this do, 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 you know, type of song. And I was like, that is, that is magical. And, and so I just found myself in this place where I needed to learn more. I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to this is when you take this kind of, uh, you know, turn in your life and, and you, you realize there's, 
it's just like this door opens to wonder and it just doesn't ever shut, right? You know, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. For sure. So- there's no, there's no, <laughs> once you delve into the burning world, there's no, you can, you never reach the end of learning ever. It's impossible. And that is one of the great things about this incredible hobby we have is that it doesn't matter how common a bird is or how many times we've seen it. We can always learn something new and we can take this. It's so portable. You know, I like to think that birding is equitable for all people because in every human habitat, we share it with birds. I mean, from the densest urban ecosystems, (laughs) you know, to deserts, to all sorts of landscapes, which is really fantastic. So you're never at a loss. You can always be amused or entertained by birds. And, And really, I, you know, the last 30 years, my life has been driven by birds and bird migration. I really feel like I live in the rhythm of the birds a lot of the time. Um, and it really is part of who I am and, and the way I live my life at this point. But, you know, birding always was something special to me once I discovered, you know, the practice of birding and going out more. You know, we had feeders when I was growing up, which was so integral to learning and, and getting to observe birds intimately right outside our own windows. And there's, you know, that in itself is a powerful thing. Uh, but when I started to explore and go beyond my backyard and start looking and actively seeking out birds, I could see that <laughs> that this was something that was going to bring me immense joy and just this quest for 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 awe and wonder and more and 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 I love it. It's insatiable. But you know, at one point in my life, I went through a really difficult time, and um, it happened. It's so what happened was we ended up having to move away um, from Virginia where we were living. We were living at Virginia Beach and um, and I had to move to Pennsylvania. And this was a bittersweet thing. You know, um, I found myself like, how am I going to how am I going to accept this change, this major lifestyle change in addition to habitat change for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I as we were house hunting, I heard the sound of a wood thrush singing. Beautiful. And in that moment, I just realized it's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to be living among the wood thrushes now. I don't do this often, but listen to this wood thrush singing. I can totally get how it made Holly feel right then in that time. And and honestly, it really, I've had so many of these magical moments in my life where birds have given me hope and they've been this companion for me when life has been tricky. It's almost as if they're sending me a sign or a signal. And just by paying attention and noticing these little things have really helped me um, get through. And, and that, you know, that st- situation happened many times over and over where birds would offer me some sort of a sign uh, in my life that things were going to be okay. And most monumentally, that came into action when I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, Mm. as a young mom. Um, I was, you know, this hit me out of the blue. I was also 
unfortunately had a really tough year. Our family had a tough year. My husband was uh, deployed. He was a naval reservist who was activated after September 11th. And so he was overseas and I ended up taking my kids sledding and crushing two vertebrae in my back at the same time. (laughs) And then five weeks later, getting this diagnosis that hit me out of the blue, you know, and um, I have to say it was super challenging uh, for my little boys and my husband, of course, and myself. I don't know if I'd be here today and doing as well and thriving if I didn't have birds in my life. And for that, I feel grateful because at that point, I started to access this hobby that I loved so much as part of my therapy. And for me, it was as powerful emotionally and really physically as like a frontline defense against the cancer in concert with the traditional therapies of chemotherapy and surgeries, et cetera. Right. And so um, when I think back on that time, you know, it's, it's just profound how much um, I used birds. And sometimes I didn't even recognize what I was doing, that the birds were bringing me this peace. They were allowing me to be centered and grounded to take my attention away from my worries, my fears, you know, uh, great concerns. It's something that you need so much when you're in the grip of a diagnosis like that, or when you're going through a really rough time in your life. And I mean, we all have these times in our life where we were challenged, right? I mean, we all experience it at one point and another. And so I feel grateful because the birds were there for me. And, um, you know, there are many different situations where I encountered birds during that journey where they helped me pull through. Um, I can give you com- a couple of examples. of yeah, please. Yeah. Um, so one thing that was really difficult for me was losing my hair as a young mom. You know, none of my friends were bald. I was 32 years old. And uh my kids, my older son had expressed it was going to bring him a lot of anxiety and his was like begging me not to go in front of his friends without a wig. And for me, I was I was almost scared of how I was going to look, too. I mean, you know, this is sure. not something typical, but, you know, uh, it wasn't my choice to be bald at that point in my life. And and so um, the, my hair kind of fell out all at once. And, and I didn't works, know. To, yeah. yeah, yeah, I didn't I, I didn't know what to do with that hair. I mean, it was. You know, it's a significant loss. So what do you do? Do you throw it in the trash can? That seems like there's something about that that felt wrong or saving it felt really weird. Like, you know, but I ended up realizing that, you know, it was springtime and that I had heard that if you put hair from your dog's hairbrush out in spring, sometimes the birds might take it and use it for nesting materials. And I thought, aha, this is what I'm going to do with my hair. And so that's what I did. I I put it in a suet cage and hung it right outside <laughs> my kitchen window. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, where the birds could. I figured, you know, with my, I was in a brace from the neck down when I was going through all this and had multiple surgeries. Um, oh, my word. And so I thought, gosh, I could at least make it to the kitchen window to like wash dishes or, you know, prepare a meal while I'm undergoing this. And perhaps maybe I'll see something out there. And you know what? One day. I got really lucky because as I looked out my window, there was a tufted titmouse, a bird that's common in my area. I know mm-hmm. titmice are across the country and they all have the same similar, very curious personalities. So this one was jumping all around on the suet cage and tugging and pulling at my hair and then suddenly pulled away some of my wasted hair and carried it off for probably its nest, right? Yeah, and in most that likely. moment, 
Yeah, I had so much hope. I was filled with joy and my loss seemed so much less significant. And it really allowed me perspective and and peace with that loss. So really, they helped me get through some really difficult times. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I'm a family doctor and, and I hear stories that are, you know, not terribly dissimilar to yours. And most of them aren't about birding, but but of, you know, healthy distractions, uh, ways to feel involved in meditation or yoga or exercise or uh, counseling or all sorts of ways that you can heal, heal the mind and the soul. And this sounds, you know, we've got one more great option to add to the list. Uh, so I, I, totally understand you know my wife died about five or six years ago uh, and after after she passed i was like well i had retired to help take care of her and so i didn't have a job and i really didn't want to go back to work uh and uh, i needed to you know i needed something to do with my time and i've been a birder for a long time but i you know almost to an obsession i just dove into birding like nobody's business and and certainly i was not following the mindful birding uh, techniques that you <laughs> recommend in your book uh all the time although a lot of times i never thought about it like that but just probably was uh, and you know nature and birding as an, a way to do nature certainly is good for the soul and absolutely I'm, i would i would certainly vouch for that Absolutely. And that's, you keyed in on something that um, I find a lot of people uh, resonate and share with me is that they didn't recognize what they were doing when they were watching birds and how therapeutic it actually was for them. And it's true. I mean, there's, there's a lot of science behind this idea that when we turn our attention towards something else in nature, Sure. It has this restorative benefit. There's something called the attention restoration theory that Drs. Kaplan and Kaplan came up with. And, and in this theory, it's like when we when we shift our mind and we change our mental channel because we're watching birds, whether that be outside our, on feeders or we've taken a walk and we, you know, our attention is captured, it just changes our mental channel. It puts us in a different headspace that is beneficial and therapeutic. And you know, as a physician, that, you know, when we're out in nature, biochemical changes start to occur inside of our body that are good for us, right? And so this practice of using birds as that gateway into nature immersion, which all these studies are now showing, um, helps lower our, our, uh, our cortisol levels, and which in turn helps boost our immune systems. It helps relieve stress. I like to say birds are heart healthy. They help improve our cardiovascular health, health by lowering, helping lower our blood pressure. I mean, when you start thinking about really what's going on and, and how birds can benefit us, it's really pretty quite amazing. And, you know, some of the studies are showing that some of the effects of uh, being engaged in the natural world and you know, I like to say using birds is that gateway, right? Because so many people love birds. They may not call themselves birders, but just drive around neighborhoods and see how many bird feeders you see, you know, for or sure. bird baths or people are planting flowers for birds, you know, so 
people love birds already. So once we start to recognize the benefits beyond just the enjoyment for our, you know, it for our mind, body, and soul, yeah, oh gosh, you know, this is kind of nature's medicine, a gift for us. And really, this is not a new practice. Indigenous people have practiced this for thousands and thousands of years. But things have changed and, and we pulled away from recognizing it. But hey, guess what? That's one of the benefits of the pandemic is that a lot of people had the chance, the opportunity to slow down and take notice. And, and we're seeing this kind of shift in mindset. And I think that's why so many people are embracing this concept now of using nature and birds in particular therapeutically as part of our self-care practices because we know it makes us feel so good. There are no side effects except for, you know, disclaimer and warning, you might get hooked on this, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's all really good for us. For sure. I, uh, I, you know, I've been through kind of this, a lot of the stages of birding. I think I, I joke there are stages of grief. There are stages of birding too. Uh, you know, and, and one of those stages is the, in, you know, listing and listing and listing. And I'm, i and I'm a lister for sure. I'm sure you're a lister too. Uh, and uh, in various flavors, you know, uh, but uh, I have to say that uh, I've kind of shifted my focus from trying to find the next ABA species to finding the next ABA spectacle, the next ABA experience, you know. I mean, I would rather uh, go to the Platte River and see the Sandhill Cranes than uh, go to, you know, some mountaintop and find some obscure bird that I would never see without traveling and hustling to get it. I'm not that I wouldn't ever go for that bird on the mountaintop, but it's kind of not my, not my passion, right? As much right now. Mm. So uh, I think how, how have you found uh, when, when you talk to, you know, passionate birders, avid birders who are just out there all the time, uh, how have you found, have they been receptive to, Maybe I need to just slow down and smell the roses or actually look at the, all the birds, not just the the next one on my list. Uh, how How has that gone over? Yeah, I mean, I think that most birders can relate to the benefits of watching birds to their own wellness. You know, when it, it's just, again, this awareness of thinking about it, framing it that way. That's the difference. I mean, we've never, we haven't really had this conversation in birding before as much as we are now. Um, and there are more and more people out there that are sharing this and embracing it and recognizing it. Um, and for what it is. But I think avid birders, I mean, I would consider myself an avid birder, even though I'm not out there. I don't, you know, at this point, like you said, my journey with birding has evolved over time, that my style of birding changes, it can, you know, and I can and change the style of birding. So sometimes I might be um, practicing what I call mindful birding, which with the intention is to slow down. And also it's, it's like for the wellness benefits. Um, and I can explain more about that in a little bit. But um, also, I enjoy going out and creating an eBird checklist, you know, and con contributing and giving back to what we know about birds in that form. And or, you know, sometimes I might be, like you said, chasing off the most amazing spectacle of birds, because I also find that to be one of the most exhilarating and all inspiring things that we can do as birders. Um, but I think this is not this is not something unique. Um, I think this is something that most birders find and even the most avid uh, birders out there who are 
perhaps, as you call, list-driven and want to be, you know, looking at birds to add them to a list of whatever that might be, are also finding these same benefits. And um, I do think that they, you know, people, we all like take time to notice and it's it's recognizing those moments when and and being a little bit more intentional about it um, that I think that that we all are are aiming to do or thinking about doing uh, moving forward. And so I think there's a great intersection between this practice of self care, birding is self care, and also avid birding or listing or whatever. I mean, it all works together, right? We're all woven together. It's just a matter of changing and 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 recognizing these different things for what they are. I think you're right. Uh, I When I was going through, uh, I think it was your website, there was a section on forest baths and forest therapy. That kind of got <laughs> yeah. my attention. And, and you had mentioned, I think that it's uh, uh, more, more popular in Asia. I think you said, what the heck is that? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so forest bathing um, or forest therapy or the Japanese word for this is shinden yoku um, essentially is a practice that, as you said, is used widely in uh, parts of Asia as preventative medicine. So forest bathing does not involve, it might sound exotic or very fairy or whatever, but it does not involve like shedding one's clothes. It only involves shedding one's stress in a forest ecosystem or anywhere in a natural landscape. Um, so the background here is this, and, and forest therapy and forest bathing is based on this practice that was uh, created in Japan in the 1980s. And at that time in, in Japan, uh, there was a tech boom and people were becoming uh, more of an indoor species. They were hyper-focused on new technology and and frankly, the whole society started to become unwell. And physicians in Japan started to look at this and say, what is going on? Why it, does our population have an increased number of uh, cancer, of an autoimmune disease, certainly depression and suicide rates were going up. And they said, we need to do something about this and figure out what's causing it. And But more so, how do we help uh, prevent this from happening? How do we stop this process? And so one of the things that uh, physicians that teamed up to work on this in Japan uh, did was they took experimentally some people from Tokyo, I believe, and took them into forest ecosystems and, and led them on a long, slow walk. And they noted that the persons that did this were experiencing wellness benefits from it. Right. And so they said, okay, good. So, you know, going, taking people outside, you know, into the natural world, forcing them to slow down and slow their pace was a good thing. But is there something more to this practice? And so they started to, to study um, immune system, immune responses, and also the biochemistry that was occurring. What they discovered is that there is a lot going on here. So trees, in particular evergreen trees, um, give off phytoncides. These are chemical compounds that trees naturally release into the air, right? And so as humans start to absorb these, these chemical compounds called phytoncides, there are wellness benefits for us. 
So I'll back up a little bit and explain phytoncides and share that in a tree's life, imagine, you know, a seed or cypress or something, in a tree's life, a phytoncide acts as a compound in which is almost like a life jacket. It helps the tree prevent it, prevent uh, disease processes, decay, and also perhaps insect pests. But when we as human animals and probably other animals out there as well, I don't know that there have been studies on this, but probably other mammals, perhaps even birds, are introduced to these chemical compounds, these phytoncides, it does something really fascinating. It activates our natural killer cells. And as you know, as a physician, white blood cells that actively target quick growing cells in particular sure, that cells. help fight off fight, disease. Killer T cells or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and so when we're introduced to phytoncides and being out in nature slowing down, little armies of natural killer cells, these NK cells, start to build in our immune system. And, you know, as I was saying, these actively, as you know, you know, target quick growing cells and cells like cancer cells. So I don't know about you, but if, if just going out into a forest ecosystem or being outdoors and absorbing chemicals from plants helps me, my body defend itself against cancer and other viruses, sign me right up, right? Because absolutely, I'm gonna okay. a, a question. I'm assuming that these are absorbed through the respiratory tree that you don't have to hug the tree and touch right? the chemical. I, no, it just seems like a, yeah. a real question. Absolutely, absolutely, great, great question. Yeah, so we're not. Yeah, I mean, sure. I guess some people might like to hug a tree, right? But no, actually, just walking and and, and absorbing them through our uh, you know our nasal cavities and being exposed to these is what helps our bodies uh, kind of. Uh, you know, amplify the, uh, the 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 fight insides effect on our immune system. Very so, cool. yeah, so and go so get this, your fight insides today. Absolutely, and so this is where this practice of forest bathing stems from. Are these experiences and just the the idea behind it is is harnessing the wellness benefits that natural landscapes provide us, but it's also with the intention of of slowing down, of taking notice of things. And for forest therapy, so I'm a, a nature, I'm certified as a nature and forest therapy guide. And what that means is that we provide experiences for people to have to to uh, go through these practices. And so like, for example, if I were taking somebody um, on a forest bathing uh, experience and I actually call mine forest bathing with birds because I do bring birds into this quite a bit. Birds and forests are connected, right? Um, and by the way, you don't need a forest. I've done this in the desert. I've done it in Las Vegas, Nevada, New Mexico, places like that. It's just being out in nature, right? But when we take the time to slow down, we're, we're introducing ourselves to a different kind of shift in our mindset, again, getting into this more meditative process, but also it's an engagement of the senses. So there's some uh, guided uh, sensory engagement that, that we offer as forest therapy guides that help people to get into that kind of a mindset or meditative state. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really been um, wonderful to add this to uh, some of what I'm doing, um, the array in which I share the natural world with people. So Holly, you, you said you share the natural world. What are some of the, uh, I know that you have a, you lead retreat sort of 
some sort of classes. I'm not sure if they're one day retreats. What are some of the mechanisms that you share this with? And is is another question before I forget it. Uh, how would somebody train to be a, a, a certified nature force therapy guide? I've never <laughs> even heard of that before I talked to you. Yeah, no. So yeah. Um, so I was uh, trained through the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. It's called the ANFT for short. Um, and so somebody could look this up online and access it that way. There are other organizations that also provide certification in this. For me, it was a six-month pretty intense training. We met each week for three hours over Zoom. There was a lot of homework, so to speak, a lot of practice, a lot of uh, creation of your own practice and uh, culminating in a final project, so to speak. And then we had a, a um, I think it was a four-day immersion I went to in New Hampshire um, to kind of get my final certification. Um, but and and there are like I said, there are other organizations that offer this as well. And so, uh, and anybody can do a quick Google search on sure. uh, where to certifications are out there. But I only can speak to the uh, ANFT because that's where I was that's where certified. You went. Sure. And mm -hmm. so, what sort of activities do you lead now? What do you do? How do you, how do you use this uh, training to help people? Well, sure. So, um, with this, I mean, this is sort of one of the reasons I took uh, this certification coursework and wanted to pursue this is because um, it kind of echoes what I was already doing with ornotherapy workshops and ornotherapy experiences I was providing for people, which ornotherapy, it, for me, we can talk a little bit about what ornotherapy is, but the way I'm defining it here is a practice of mindful birding. So mindful birding, um, you know, is an, is an awareness of being in the moment with birds and intention to turn our attention to birds in the natural world as part of our self-care and also uh, being without judgment of our experiences, like letting nature happen. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, as a birder, sometimes I get caught up in like, oh, did I get a good enough look? You know, oh, I didn't, my camera didn't get the right light. You know, I get all flustered because it wasn't good enough, right? Or I judge myself, especially if I make an error in identification, right? And so we get really judgmental about then you know what we see or don't see and and when you when you're mindfully birding you're not really thinking about all that you're letting nature provide its own show for you right which is there's something really special about that it kind of just slows you down automatically because you're not actively seeking out by walking or driving or whatever you're just sitting and waiting and letting things happen. So it's a slower process, um, but also just, you know, enhancing that curiosity and wonder that we were talking about earlier. And so these are what my experiences with how I've created these workshops. And so naturally this goes hand in hand with the ANFT programming. I also uh, recently completed a certification in wellness counseling through Cornell University. If you People can look that up as well. Mm -hmm. um, and all of these things tie, tie together um, in creating a practice using birds, which I call ornotherapy. And this is for our wellness, our well-being. I mean, hey, there's there's horticultural therapy out there. There is equine therapy. I was initially trained as an art therapist, you know, so uh, there's a lot of different ways, as you were mentioning before, that we can access uh, to find wellness, whatever, you know, fills you up and brings you joy. 
And again, birds, it's a natural. So many people love them. So we should all be practicing ornotherapy. And I feel like it should be recognized uh, more widely in the medical community, like uh, having these types of programs that get people out and engaging in nature and birds in particular, you know, is a good thing. And we know there are amazing health benefits to towards that practice. Well, I will do my best to put the put this podcast in your book in the face of some physicians. We'll see what happens. I don't know how that will go, but you never know till you try. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Holly, you have uh, you've developed courses, and that's the thing. But you've also written a book. I I got your book. It's a beautiful book. It's uh, you know, looks like a sunset with a kingfisher and a swallowtail kite and a hummingbird to me. Uh, anyway, it's a beautiful uh, graphics and uh, kind of a cool. I, you're right. You said you'll never see it. You've never seen a book quite like this. It is a, it, my observation is that it's a fabulous combination of a beautiful book uh, in terms of just aesthetics and layout and good writing with a workbook. I mean, it really is designed to uh, allow the reader to use it like a, you know, one of these three ring binder tearaway workshops. You don't have to rip it up and turn it away. But I'm saying it, it's both beautiful and good reading and uh, a real workbook. Tell, tell us how how you came up with that idea. And uh, because if I was doing this, I would have made it on, you know, cheap paper and, you know, tear apart book and I would have done it differently just because I never would have even thought of doing something like this. <laughs> how'd you even think of it? And how'd you pull it off? Yeah. Well, I have to say, I have to give credit to my two co-authors, Richard Crossley and also uh, Sophie Crossley, Richard's daughter. So, um, and so uh, Richard and, and Sophie, so Richard, the imagery within the book is is largely that of Richard Crossley's, but it's not his typical Crossley ID guide uh, plates that he normally would have. Um, uh, the, the photos and imagery are designed quite differently and laid out by Sophie Crossley. Sophie did most of the layout of Ornotherapy, the book. Um, and so uh, it's, 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 um, the, because of them that this book presents that, that well in, in, how we are looking at the birds uh, throughout the book and kind of in a curious way. In fact, um, I think they really pique the interest of the reader tying into the writing, um, which, as you said, is sort of like a how-to in that how-to. So we hear about all these studies that are coming out now supporting uh, the the benefits of being out and listening to birds, like for birdsong or, you know, like some of the studies that I was talking about earlier. So it's all this science out there. But how do we harness that? How do we put it to our advantage? And so this is where this idea of this book came to mind. So the pandemic largely played a role in this. I've been an environmental educator for 20 plus years and also, so I was developing my own lesson plans and also uh, was a professional birding guide, I still am, but, and so, so it came naturally for me to write these kind of explorations and was together with support from Richard and Sophie, we were able to produce this book, which as you said, isn't really, it sort of is a workbook. There's also a little bit of a journaling section in the back because we wanted our readers to take authorship of ornotherapy themselves. And so uh, that's that's part of the practice as well is, is journaling and, and getting people to just take a step back, slow down and notice. And, and I think that um, for a lot of people, I've, I've heard some really uh, 
interesting comments about how this book has given them an opportunity to look at common birds in a new way and 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 also to be able to give a, a reason an excuse to sit and slow down and become more mindful to be in the present moment that present moment thinking and then that in turn amplifies those wellness benefits so it was um it was a great process uh we in, it have to say that the pandemic played a part in this because uh right when the lockdown started going into play back in, in mid-march 2020 um Myself and Richard, we started a Facebook group called Ornotherapy, and it was meant to bring people together because, mm-hmm. as you may remember, it was a really frictious time. You know, people time, were yeah. scared, anxious, and in addition to this global healthcare crisis, there was also a lot of really difficult politics occurring or globally, and certainly a lot of angst and turmoil here in our country. Um, but this this Facebook group was meant to bring people together with birds as their common ground, you know, and here on this, this group, we could talk about what we were seeing. So what I started to do was create these daily ornotherapy challenges. And I put it out there for people so that they, they had something to do, a prompt that would give them the chance that could be done from a window. Cause like some people can't get outside, you know, um, there's time in my life where I wasn't able to get outside. And, and, and I know that's true for a lot of people. So even, but just by looking outside a window or what's outside your own door, um, thinking about, how birds move or given these prompts was something to do. And then people would share what they were seeing and birds are common language. You know, there were no language barriers there. And we have people, this, this Facebook group is still active, although I'm not putting out these daily prompts anymore, but we have over uh, 3,600 members globally right now. And, and so, um, you know, it's another way for people to think about birds. And this is what, this is how this book sort of was like all these different things that I was throwing out there ended up coming together. And then I expanded on that. And so this is how this book evolved. Yeah. I, as I said, I I just got this book two days ago, so I have not uh, made great use of it yet, Uh, but I have had a chance to look it over and, and Holly's exactly right. It, this book from what I've seen could be used by literally any level of birder. I think the the top birder in your county could use this book and have fun uh, slowing down and, you know, backing up. I mean, I remember my early days as a birder. When I got into birding in the Everglades on a, uh, a vacation with my wife. She was a birder. I wasn't. I said, oh my God, this is spectacular. And I came back and was hook, line, and sinker. I just studied everything. But she was just a she was my mentor at the time, and she was a demon about you could not list a bird until you knew that bird. I mean, just because you've seen a robin, you don't know that. How do you know that's a robin? Mm-hmm. What What do you see in that robin? Oh, the eye ring. Oh, the white under the tail. Oh, what's that streaks on his chin? Well, I mean, I had to know everything I could learn about that bird. And then she'd let me write it in my book because it's the bird. And it, you know, in retrospect... It was pretty cool that you'd sit for 20 minutes and study a robin, you know, and uh, mm. and now you say, oh, it's just more robins. What can I really see, you know? Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so this is a way for birds to to maybe go back and slow down and uh, mm-hmm. and and relax, and also a way for somebody who's never even thought about birding. Birding? What's birding? 
ornotherapy? Orny, or, what's orny mean? I mean, at that level, could take this book and gain a lot from it and maybe even become a birder, uh, a, 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 you know, a more passionate birder. Absolutely. And I think you're right. And that's what I've heard from many people is it doesn't matter what your experience level is um, for this book to be to mean something to you and for you to put it into practice. Some of the 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 ornotherapy explorations in the book were really, you know, there are things we can do over and over again. I do them all the time. I mean, some of my favorite um, activities are, you know, there's a there's an exploration in there about watching the sky and just letting things happen. And maybe a bird flies over and maybe it doesn't. And that's okay too, right? So it's just letting things be as they will and just appreciate being in that moment. And and so yeah, I think it's it's a in that respect, it's it's a book that is filled with uh timeless amounts of information. You can go back over it over and over again, do the same explorations, you know, and, you know, write in your journal or maybe not do whatever, you know, suits you um, in order to kind of see how things change for you. And uh, even though I've been birding for a long time now and, you know, have a lot of experience, I still find myself, you know, being in awe of the simplest things of the most common birds. I mean, even some of the birds we deem as pesky, you know, like starlings or perhaps house sparrows, I can find some joy and delight in those birds because I shift my perspective a little bit, you know, and I start thinking about, you know, how does this bird interact? Why don't I like that bird? And actually I have a exploration in the book, you know, a, a challenging that idea of bothersome birds and why are they bothersome? What bothers you about them? You know, and do you identify with some of these personality traits or spoken how do like feel, a true you know? therapist? You sound like a therapist, Holly. Well, <laughs> well, the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, is that, you know, when we start thinking about it, we can become introspective. And that's what another aspect of this book and of mindful birding is really starting to think about ourselves. Because the more we recognize and understand the natural world, the more we recognize and understand ourselves. Yeah. Well, people who've been listening so far might not get how really good a birder Holly is. I mean, Holly uh, leads field trips for George Armistead, uh, new Hillstar Hill Nature. Hill Nature. Uh, you've been a instructor at Audubon's Hog Island uh, Youth Birding Camp in Maine. And there's another birding camp that I forget which one it is that you're kind of the head yeah, honcho the of, I think, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Holly has serious birding fighties. I mean, she's just not like a, oh yeah, I'm a birder sort of thing. No, not at all. She's really a hot shit birder. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and yet has uh, chosen uh, this, this aspect of birding to be her passion right now. And it's really cool. I mean, if, if uh, someone who's as good a birder as you are can slow down and find joy and, health benefits and other aspects of birding in maybe a, a different way of looking at things. Uh, maybe I can too. Maybe even I could. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Everyone can. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. So Holly, what do you see going forward uh, in terms of one of therapy and in terms of other, you know, maybe birding related parts of your life? 
Yeah. Well, I am really focused on this purpose now of making more of an awareness of the wellness benefits that birds bring to us. And that's through ornotherapy. I have another book that I've co-authored with um, an, a German orno ornithologist. Um, her name is Dr. Angelica Nelson. That one will be in German, published in Germany and Austria, um, coming out next month in, in March of 2023. Um, and so it's just spreading this awareness even further. I'm also very much invested in something called the Mindful Birding Network, which is an organization uh, that I founded last year, which is a network of people that are coming together to elevate this practice of mindful birding. And, and so people around the globe have joined the network and we're all like sharing and inspiring each other and networking and learning from each other to bring this practice of mindful birding into our own communities to benefit you know, the people around us as well. So it, it that is another focus of mine. Um, so Holly, so, where is this network, the Mindful Birdie? Is it a, a Facebook network, an online network? Or how do you, how does somebody even find this network? Well, so we have a website called themindfulbirdingnetwork.com. And uh, we have uh, gatherings, Zoom gatherings that occur every eight weeks or so. We do record them because we have people on multiple time zones uh, chiming in, you know, from all over the United States and Canada and Mexico and Central and South America. And last time, last month, we had somebody from Australia um, because it was <laughs> morning the next day for her, you know, so, uh, so you can find us there. You join and you get notices of when we're gathering. Um, we have all sorts of events listed. So you can find people practicing mindful birding in your neck of the woods, so to speak. We also have a strong uh, Instagram uh, channel called Mindful Birding Network. Um, and so that's how, how people can find us. So we're out there to be the hub of all things mindful birding. There you can find more of a defined uh, definition of what is mindful birding and why should you practice it? And how is it different than birding itself? You know, how, how do we define that? So, and that's just really in the intention. So anyway. Holly, how, how does this interact with when you're a more traditional bird guide? I know you lead, you have historically done a lot and it sounds like you're going to continue to some degree going forward as a, you know, just the, the uh, birding guide on a tour to blankety blank, wherever you lead trips to. Uh, how does, do people ask you about this? Do, how do you incorporate that? Yeah, um, so I am a professional birding guy, like you said, and I do. I, I work for National Audubon's Hog Island Camp in Maine. I not only work with young people there, but um, more so with adults because we have uh, multiple adult birding camps there. And I'm a session director for one called The Joy of Birding, um, which happens annually. And 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 I'm an instructor for a few others. So, um, and, and of course, Hill Star Nature. And so the thing is, is that I think all birders are really intrigued by this idea. Because again, I think we're all practicing to this, this to some degree. It's just an awareness. And, and people are, are looking for more ways to take care of themselves. And 
birding really part of our self-care i mean this is a natural fit you know and when we take the time out to recognize our birding practice as our self-care practice just as important as healthy diet and exercise you know because of the the benefits that it provides us in our lives i mean this is this is something that's um you know resonates with all birds it doesn't matter like you know how competitive you are with yourself or with others or or how casual you are to people that wouldn't even call themselves birders but they love birds and they watch birds i mean i call them birders but <laughs> you know that sort of thing um you know so i think this is something that uh even with the tour industry more people are recognizing more people are thinking i see this shift um with this kind of idea more of the birding festivals around the united states are starting to feature people like me um who who have a different a slightly different perspective perhaps um or or there's a few other uh people like me out there. there's bridget butler who does slow birding there's tama watts uh from california her book keep looking up is coming out soon you know and and all of us are kind of resonating and sharing this message out there and so i think that you're going to see more and more of this and more of these practices are going to start coming into uh tours you know the traditional birding tour because i think people really are looking for more and i think that a lot of people are open and receptive and frankly it's all woven together anyway it's just maybe talking about it a little bit more making I, more of an awareness. I bet this comes up at dinner conversation commonly on your tours. Mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely. So so how did how did you come up with the name ornotherapy and how did uh yeah, how'd you kind of get the idea that that's what it was? Yeah, so so ornotherapy the word uh, is not my word and or my co-authors, um, I could first find this uh, word referenced in the British Journal of Medicine in 1979, where Dr. A.F. Cox in London, who was a family doctor, I believe, like you, and he, um, he noted that a lot of his patients were suffering from side effects from medications he could prescribe. And he was like, you know, I'm a birder, you know, maybe if I prescribe bird watching as sort of like a little experiment for them, perhaps maybe they could benefit from some of the upsides of, of watching birds. And so he mm -hmm. prescribed essentially bird watching to some of his patients. And he reported that um, he saw responses from even some of the most despondent patients. And what he noted was that bird watching was as effective as any drug cheaper and safer than many. And he he uh, used it as an analogy to tranquilizers. And that's the effect that he was seeing. So he entitled this little essay in the British Journal of Medicine, Ornotherapy. And so I think that word makes a lot of sense because orna is the root uh, for, for, for bird, right? The root word for bird. And mm -hmm. we have it in ornithology and ornotherapy, both. And then therapy, using birds uh, therapeutically, um, wild birds um, bringing us all of these boosted wellness benefits. And so um, that's how that word came about. I mean, for me, I felt like for a long time as an environmental educator, I've been practicing, I've been 
teaching nature therapy, particularly with young people. My focus is a mm -hmm. lot on, on youth these days um, and has been for a long time. And, and kids today really need tools to access, to offset some of the stress and anxiety they experience. And nature observation, bird watching certainly is one of those that, you know, can, can provide these benefits. And so um, for years as an environmental educator, I kept feeling like because I was seeing such a transformation in a student, even within a short period, like within an hour, add a kid to nature and oh my goodness, a transformation occurs. And it's not just with young people, it's with adults too. I mean, these incredibly profound changes in demeanor, in, in facial expressions, tension. You can almost see like tension starting to, to roll off of people's shoulders when they're out birding, you know, because, and, and, you know how it is when you see birds. For sure. You just, your body language changes. You feel better. And now the science is there to show that. Well, super cool, Holly. I, I have to say, uh, doing this podcast, one of the things I most enjoy is talking to people with passion and you know, learning what they're passionate about and just seeing people who are really excited about what they're doing and are passionate about it. I mean, and that might be someone who's passionate about finding uh, 200 birds in every state in the United States, or that might be somebody who's passionate about helping people use birding as a therapeutic means of, uh, of self-care. And it sounds like you are closer to the latter but probably have visited the former. <laughs> and, uh, yep. and, and so that's really cool, Holly. I want to kind of wrap up by asking people how they can, uh, how they can reach out to you if they want to, how they can find your book uh, and giving people a ch just a chance to hear the, any last things you want them to hear. <laughs> well, thanks, Ed. Um, I really have enjoyed chatting with you today and um, would love to interact with um, your audience if, if, they are interested, they can find me at ornotherapy.com. It, it has an email address listed there as well. I'm also on Instagram at Holly Merker. Um, and there's the Facebook group Ornotherapy. Um, and uh, also uh, am involved with, as I mentioned, the Mindful Birding Network, which is a group of a larger group growing larger each day of a lot of different people um, around the globe. So at any rate, it would be great to connect and hear people's stories. I love hearing people's stories about how birds have impacted their lives. I think this is something, a conversation we need to be having more um, as birders and, and sharing that, like you mentioned, you know, you're going to share it potentially with some other physicians. I say it's a grassroots effort because the more physicians that hear this testimony from people like you or I, that birds have impacted our lives and made us feel healthier, feel better about situations going on in our lives, the more physicians that hear that message, the better, because then they might, you know, be inspired to recommend that prescribe nature or birds to their patients that come in that they really wouldn't put on medicine or something, but, you know, they can see where there might be benefits for these people. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I hope you're right. Uh, so if I was uh, to tell, tell somebody, go buy Holly's book. It's really good. You should get it. How would, what would be the best way for them to get that? Is it, I mean, I got, I, I want, I just wanted one in a hurry. I just got it on Amazon because it was like, <laughs> they delivered it the next day and I was doing this podcast in four days. I didn't have any time to screw around. Uh, yeah, but you can get it on Prime. That's one way. Uh, yeah. But I think they can probably get it directly from you, can't they? 
Yeah, sure. So um, yes, you can get it through Amazon, but um, I also have it listed on my website as well, ornotherapy.com. Okay. You can find it there, Ornotherapy, the book. It's it's well listed there. And uh, there's even a coupon code for, so you don't have to pay for shipping for that as well. So um, Very cool. yeah. Good. Holly, thank you so much for doing this with me. I've been excited ever since I kind of heard about this. And you know, I, I got your name from George when I had him on the podcast just a little while ago, that maybe two or three episodes ago, George Armistead was my guest after I met him on my trip to Antarctica. And, and he talked about Hill Star Nature. And, and he said, well, the first person I got a hold of when I, when I started, I got a hold of Holly because she is just my soulmate in terms of uh, leading bird trips. And she, he just spoke so highly of you. And I says, I got to talk to this woman. And I looked you up and I said, whoa, this isn't what I thought I'd find. I thought I'd, you know, want a therapy. What's that all about? I found out about that. And I said, this is much better topic than just one more field guide. You know, <laughs> this is great. So thanks for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, uh, one thing I, I would say, if people want to leave uh, a feedback to Holly, one way to do that is in the podcast comments you know, on, on Apple Podcasts or any other way you leave comments. I am always begging people to uh, give a review of the, the episode, and uh, this might be a good excuse to do it. Try try this out. Check it out. And uh, you can certainly get a whole Holly on her website, I'm sure. But you could also get feedback that I could give to listeners by just leaving uh, it in the review section of whatever podcast feed you use, or you get a hold of me on, on the birdbanner.com website too. So uh, thanks, Holly, for doing this. I really appreciate it. And you have a great day. Take care. Well, thanks, Ed. You too. Happy birding, everyone. Thanks. Wow. How cool to have the chance to talk with and get to know Holly today. Let me know how you have experienced the therapeutic aspects of birding. You can do that in a lot of ways, but a cool way, and one I'd really encourage you to do, is to leave a review of the podcast on your favorite podcast app. I use iTunes, and I realize that until I checked it out, I didn't even know how to leave a rating. If you just look at the place where you click to play an episode, you don't see anything about ratings. You have to scroll to the bottom of the list of episodes, and as you get after scrolling down just a little bit, you come to a section that says, rate this podcast one through five stars, and hopefully you'll rate it five stars, and you'll see a section where it says, leave a, write a review or leave a review. Then just click on that. You can type in whatever you want to say. So that would be a great place to let me know what you think of the podcast, maybe someone you want to want to hear from as a future guest, or as, as I suggested, let me know what your experiences have been with how birding is just good for you from an overall health standpoint. Uh, I also wanted to mention that I'll be leaving for a several-week-long break from the rain and cold of Washington soon. Uh, I'm hoping to record an episode or two during that time. I'll be in Florida and then in Costa Rica. Uh, but if I don't get, it, get to it, if there's nothing that shows up for a little bit, check out some old episodes and I'll be back in April with lots more shows. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding and good day.